I feel like you have to find the joy in your life. And if that means working part-time or perhaps finding a company that allows you to have these other hobbies and not feel guilty about taking time off, that adds to my devotion, my loyalty to Kickstarter because they're allowing me to kind of focus on me from time to time and not just focus on the business. So I think that's part of the future. And that's what I would like to see change in a lot of companies. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. The way we work has changed forever. And highly skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top talent to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bodgis, Editorial Strategy Lead at TopTal. Today's guest is Mai Tan, Chief People Officer of Kickstarter and author of the new book, Come Into My Office, Stories from an HR Leader in Silicon Valley. Born in Vietnam, raised in Pennsylvania, and educated at University of Texas, Austin, Mai formerly led people teams at Trulia, White Ops, OneLogin, and more. She joined Kickstarter in November 2020, and we are thrilled to have her with us on the talent economy today. Welcome, Mai. Hi, Meredith. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about our discussion today. Likewise. Thank you so much for being here. So to start, please tell us more about your journey to Kickstarter. I know before you arrived there, you had left your employer to start your own HR consulting and advising firm. What made you take that leap? And what made you come back to an employer? Well, Meredith, this was 2018. At that time, I had been at my sixth startup. And honestly, I burnt myself out. You know, it's hard work sometimes working in technology companies that are high growth, fast paced, and just that roller coaster of emotional highs and sometimes the valley of some lows. I had done this six times just building you know, the infrastructure, what we call the operating system of these companies. And I just needed a break. So I did. I took the break, finally thinking about like, what am I going to do? I still have 20 years to work. So is this it? What do I need to do? I need to reset. So I took some time off. I became a gig economy worker where I just became a consultant to a variety of different companies. And during that time, I took personality tests. I took purpose tests. I went to the Human Performance Institute in Florida, which studies how to maximize your performance as an employee. And honestly, COVID hit and I underestimated how lonely I would feel not being part of a team, not being part of a company. And so I made the decision during the pandemic to go back in-house. It was a good time for a lot of people leaders and HR leaders in general because companies had to shift overnight to virtual platforms and virtual technology. It was a mass shift for the entire world. And so I decided to go back in-house. And I was lucky enough to find a great team and company known as Kickstarter. 
yeah, I joined during the pandemic and I just feel like it's a different way of work now. Oh yeah, very different world. And I'd love to hear what were the challenges you faced arriving at Kickstarter well into the pandemic? So the pandemic hit around Q1, maybe February and March, when a lot of the world and companies started to lock down. So I started at the end of the year. And at that point, there was already fatigue, exhaustion. You know, we gave up our commutes and figured out how to work from home and adjust quickly. What we realized is that we were sometimes rolling out of bed and getting to work right away. And then it would be noon and you haven't even brushed your teeth yet. So I joined at a time when I think the world was exhausted. And so for me, the challenges were team cohesion. How do you align and maintain your culture when everybody's offsite virtually not in the same place anymore? Sometimes people had moved. And so time zones became a little bit harder to plan meetings at work and everything. And so I just threw myself into that, trying to understand, like, is this the new way of work? Is this now what we have to consider is that there's some virtual technology. There's moments where you can have a little levity and there's all sorts of software that got developed in the pandemic that allows us to stay connected. So just an unusual time to join, but also a really great time to be in HR so that What I'm working on now is just focusing on the future of work and what it's going to look like, because it isn't even going to look like what it does today. Definitely not. So now I have to ask, when you were facing those challenges of these exhausted employees, how did you get their energy levels back up? How did you make them excited about going to work? And I'm putting that in air quotes because they were just walking to their computer rather than going to a workplace. How did you make them excited about that? Well, at Kickstarter, our mission is to bring creative projects to life. So if you think about all of the art and artists in the world and creators, sometimes they don't have a funding mechanism to bring their projects out into the world. And so Kickstarter is a crowdfunding platform. Because the pandemic deprived us of social interaction, the arts, Broadway was closed, like museums were closed, sports arenas, we didn't have any of that. We needed the human connection, the interaction, the support of our fellow humans to just like get art out into the world again. So we thought about that as our core principle is just like mission alignment and what we call mission lock to help fund these artists. We, I think, have um, the fortune of being able to work from home and just being able to sign into Zoom calls. As an artist, you know, sometimes you need to go into a studio where there's more light. You cannot, and you know, I live in Manhattan where the square footage is small. So sometimes when you're creating something, it isn't as easy. I know a lot of art forms now are digital and online, but it's still, you need inspiration. And so we pivoted and leaned on our mission to support the creators of the world. And for me as a chief people officer, what I did was I spent two months consumed by one-on-one meetings with every employee so that I could introduce myself, but also hear their stories. It was a human connection that I otherwise would have never had if I didn't share a meeting or didn't share project updates with these people, I would have never met them. So the one-on-one time for me was 
very, very time consuming, but also such a good expenditure of time because I got to hear people's stories. And so it was a nice lot of tears uh, that I still carry with me because I remember their stories. And so it's wonderful to have that human connection during a time when we can't see each other as easily. As a chief people officer, you probably have to keep those stories confidential. But if there is one or two that stood out that you would feel comfortable sharing, I'd be so interested in hearing what what brought tears to your eyes or what guided you in developing your policies and your approach from the stories that came out of these one-on-ones. It is true. You know, a lot of the work that we do as uh, people leaders is we hold certain stories and moments in confidence. But in general, I met somebody who was two years away from paying off their student loans who had worked in the nonprofit public sector. And in two years, her loans would have been forgiven. But because there was so much turmoil uh, happening, she just couldn't do it. And so she left that world, joined Kickstarter. She's much happier now, but she's still in debt. And so I think about that. We all have to work for an income. And I just can't imagine sometimes the enormous pressure of younger generations who are trying to make an impact at work, trying to balance what their needs are, especially amidst all of the social unrest and civic unrest in the country, amidst, you know, student loan debt that some people carry for 10, 15, 20 years. So that hits home for me just because that struggle is real and you have to balance all of these things. And as they say, Meredith, adulting is hard. (laughs) I just just feel that sometimes it's hard, but you learn how to deal with it. It gets easier. I met data scientists who I had the luxury of being able to take some notes when I was talking to every employee. And I worked with our data scientists to figure out if there was a pattern in some of the stories and words that people had used in my own interviews with them. I called it my listening tour. So that was fascinating for me, what came out and sort of what I learned there. But yeah, just many different moments of like, this is what we work for. And I think if I had to think about my own philosophy as a chief people officer, I feel that employees are loyal and devoted to companies when they feel that they are learning. So the growth happens around them. They are learning from leaders. They're learning public speaking skills. They're learning how to run meetings. They're learning about like what to do in a one-on-one. They're learning to build trust as well as learning their technical craft. And I think that that is really why employees stay with companies. I am so fascinated by this listening tour and the fact that you used data scientists to track the words that came up time and again. What information prompted you to change the way you were doing things at Kickstarter because of those words that kept coming up? A lot of the work in HR and people leadership doesn't always have a lot of metrics tied to it. And so I'm not a data geek. I try to be. I'm I'm married to a husband who is in finance. And so I've built dashboards and I can just, I'm kind of quant focused, but sometimes it's hard to understand all the data. So I was not shy to ask for help. The good news was most of the words in the notes that I took there was some positive leaning and that was a, it was a sentiment analysis, but it was positive. And so I knew that we were in good shape where I come up with knowing that the population was exhausted, tired, burnt out 
was from the words that came out of like, you know, this pandemic is harsh, especially for those employees who have responsibilities outside work. So think about parents, think about even like adopting a new pet during this pandemic, like everything had changed. And so armed with those two sentiments where positive sentiment overall about the company, but really having a hard time dealing with the virtual circumstances of our socially deprived workforce, I started changing and shifting my focus to a much longer term goal of how is this going to look? How are we going to sustain ourselves? Like we can't keep rolling out of bed, wearing our yoga pants all day long and eating and jamming food in our mouth in between meetings. So there are small things that we do. And one of them is we start meetings five after the hour We end meetings five minutes before the hour. Sometimes you need that 10-minute break in between meetings, which I find is (laughs) relaxing. I can reset. I can take a sip of water, go to the restroom, and just have a mental break from my computer. So just even those little tiny movements during the day, I feel that employees appreciate the gesture and also understand the detail. I love that idea because we're all humans. We need a break between all the meetings. So that's a great thing you've implemented at Kickstarter. So I want to shift and talk about your book. This is your first book, and it's about your experience as a people leader for growing tech companies. What made you want to write a book? Working in tech startups that are building things, as as they say, the plane is already flying in the air and you're building it. That has been my life's journey, and I loved it. And there were certain stories where I started this book a long time ago because it was, I was trying to capture moments and stories on my laptop. So I started writing these series of vignettes and stories about my coworkers because you'd be surprised what happens in the course of a day. And as HR leaders and professionals, we're sort of sworn to secrecy. I wanted to write this book, so I had to scramble names, scramble dates, scramble times so that you couldn't identify anybody and to protect the anonymity of my own colleagues. But I wanted to capture the essence of this is really what happens at work. There are very few books that tell this story from like my eyes and insiders' eyes of like what really happens behind closed doors in private moments. And the stories, like the the funny thing, Meredith, is... The stories on my laptop are different from the stories that landed in this first book, which means I probably have a second book in me. Well, we, of course, want everyone to buy your book. But if there is one little teaser you can give us about one of the most outrageous or just personally inspiring stories from your book to make us want more, what would you share with us? Maybe there's two things. One is more from a professional lens of employees should adapt to the environments in which they find themselves. Now, it may be something simple for you and for us to say, but I find that sometimes people aren't open to feedback or they're not reading the room or they're not reading the audience very well. And I want you to continue to do that because that is actually key to success and feeling impactful in your work is adapting to everybody around you because it's not that they have to adapt to you. You have to adapt to them. So that's just a key learning that I've seen play out in the workplace. My second teaser is it's actually hard work to sometimes be the only woman, the only minority amidst 
the technology space, which is very heavily leaning on men as well as non-minorities. And so being the only at the table is very lonely. And so what I did and what I encourage people to do is you chart your own journey. I have seen so much movement lateral wise. I've seen people retool themselves. I've seen people be successful the most when they know where they're going or they have a direction or a path that they want to take. Those are the most successful people. When you don't know and when you're trying things out, maybe early on in your career, it's okay. As you get more experience and maybe as you get older, you start narrowing in on, oh, this is a deal breaker. Oh, I don't want to do that. Sometimes eliminating those things is crucial. And so I take you through some of these stories of different people pivoting and kind of having an effect on each other at work. And so, uh, yes, I love it if you pick up my book. Well, I certainly can't wait to read it. And I'm wondering, because you come from this world of fast-paced tech startups, what do you think is changing in tech companies when it comes to people management right now? Tech companies are at the forefront of a lot of disruption. I love that. They're not willing to just say, we're going to do this because we used to do this and we've done this for 30 years or whatever, whether it's diversity and inclusion, whether it's the people team being more strategic It's not a compliance function anymore, especially during this pandemic where HR teams had to activate quickly to figure out how to support companies now that had to run very differently than previously ever they had. Just no in-office cultures, no more snacks, no more gatherings. Just it changed so quickly. And this is, I think, the start of HR being a more strategic role, as well as leadership understanding that, gosh, this role is much more than we ever thought it would be. And are there ways that tech companies are staying the same from even your early days in Silicon Valley? And is there something that people leaders should be doing about that? I think it's very easy for any company to fall into their old habits. I think tech companies, the charm and lore of some of them is that you move fast, you break things, you just disrupt things. You don't have to have a playbook. And I think some of that is fun, but some of that has to change as you grow and scale a business. It cannot stay chaotic for too long. You build it, you just bootstrap things together. I think as you scale, that doesn't work. And I like that bootstrapping to stop earlier in the process because that's what creates all the chaos and sometimes duplicate work efforts and nobody knows where anybody else is. And that's where things can go awry. What do you think the biggest risks are if tech companies don't change their ways? What are they missing out on or what are they risking? So I think the way of work is broken. We are the most stressed, the most unhealthy the most hypertensive pre-diabetic population that I've ever seen. And you can see research studies about it. And I just feel like the 40 hour work week or sometimes the 80 hour work week is having a toll and taking a toll on us much earlier in our careers. And I feel that that exhaustion and that fatigue is leading to mental health issues. So I just feel the crisis coming, which is why I'm starting to think about the future of work and sort of, Even for me, I went through burnout myself 
And during that time, what I learned is that I needed to focus inward to reset what I wanted and what my own dreams were outside of work. Like my identity wasn't just what I did for a living. I have many different, I like to say, dynamics to who I am, right? So I'm a parent to Emma, who is 12 years old now. I'm a wife. I'm the youngest of five siblings, born into an immigrant family. So I'm more than just what I do at work. And for me, it was part of the reason why I wrote the book is that I needed a hobby outside of work to define who I wanted to be. And I think that is the start of the future of, you don't have to maybe work so hard and work at the same company for 40 years to earn a pension. That has long gone away. And I feel like you have to find the joy in your life. And if that means working part-time or perhaps finding a company that allows you to have these other hobbies and not feel guilty about taking time off. Like I am doing this podcast with you during business hours on a Thursday. I work for a company that allows me to do that. That adds to my devotion, my loyalty to Kickstarter because they're allowing me to kind of focus on me from time to time and not just focus on the business. So I think that's part of the future. And that's what I would like to see change in a lot of companies. We would never tell our friends to do this. We would never say sign up for this. And that's what I'm changing. The this is you're, you're seeing the consequences and it's not healthy. And so I'd like us to get into a better state. My last question for you, it is so sweet to this mom of two little kids that your 12-year-old wrote the foreword for your book. How did that come about and why was she the exact right person to introduce readers to a book about tech companies' people leadership? Isn't it funny? I know. Emma volunteered to write the foreword, which as a proud mama moment, I was like, of course you can write the foreword to this book. I describe her in one of the first pages of the book, which is as a child, you see the world very innocently and very quickly. You don't have a filter. Children typically don't lie. And so one of the first things that Emma did was I brought her into a meeting. Uh, Peter and I were having some late night overlap working commitments, but somebody needed to pick up Emma from daycare. So it was me that day. So I brought her into work and I brought her into the meeting and and it was our executive team meeting. That night she looked around and she just said, mama, why do you work with a bunch of men? Wow. Yeah. It was the first recognition from me of, I didn't even see them that way. I just saw them as my colleagues, my coworkers, and just my executive team. But she pointed it out for the first time. And it was sort of the realization that, yeah, I had been in this world for so long that I didn't even see it anymore. And so she was the perfect person to just kind of highlight the foreword for the book. And how old was she when she made that realization? At the time, she was about seven, six or seven years old. And she just said it very like innocently, right? Of just like, mama, why? And she didn't say men. She was like, why do you work with a bunch of dudes, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Out of the mouths of babes. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And so it was, and uh, there's a picture in the book of what she saw. And it, it was just like, that was the start of me putting the pieces of my own journey and story together in the book. 
Well, thank you so much for your time with us on the talent economy today. I am so excited about your vision for the future of work because at TopTel, that's our vision too. We think people should be calling the shots about their lives and not their employers doing that. So I'm thrilled to hear that you feel the same way. Everyone, please pick up a copy of the book, Come Into My Office, Stories from an HR Leader in Silicon Valley. And when I say pick up a copy of the book, of course, I mean order the book. (laughs) So my thank you so much. It was a great pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much for having me, Meredith. Take care. Stay healthy. Thank you for listening to The Talent Economy. I'm your host, Meredith Bodkiss. You can find much more information about The Talent Economy on staffing.com and toptal.com slash insights, hubs for bold, comprehensive content featuring business thought leaders and authoritative research focused on the future of work.